Amen. Thank you, Robert, and thank you, Mr. Joel. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O God, for you are indeed are my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Have you ever lived as if you were waiting to die? Have you ever offered up earnest prayer repeatedly and it seemed as if nothing was happening? Your life began to feel empty and barren and as you went about your day, out of nowhere, someone appears and speaks a word of prophecy over your life that is too much for you to believe. And you become silent. That answered prayer begins to work in you and radically redefine your life as well as your understanding of the question that you were praying about. Could it really be true that you are being offered an opportunity to be a part of someone else's salvation? Could it be that God has given you a song to sing? As the Gospel of Luke begins, there has been a period of silence between God and Israel since the, the end of the Hebrew Scriptures. It's been some 400 plus years since Israel has had a prophet speak a word from God to them. They've been watching and waiting and hoping in prayerful expectation of hearing from God again. They'd been promised the arrival of a Messiah and they were watching and waiting in expectation for his arrival. They were looking back to God's past gracious actions on their behalf as they remembered. It was God who had led them out of Egypt during the Exodus. They had been praying for deliverance from this new form of bondage that they had found themselves under in this rule of Rome. After 400 years of silence, some had begun to turn away from God and God's covenant with them. It wasn't like they, they didn't believe in God. They just didn't expect God to act on their behalf anytime soon. They began to live as if they were waiting to die. Zechariah, a priest, and Elizabeth, the daughter of a priest, had been married for many years as our story unfolds. They were righteous people and lived as those who had hope, at least publicly. Yet, I believe personally, they, leave, they too lived as if they were waiting to die. Not because they didn't have faith. They just recognized that they were older people now, past their prime, past their childbearing years, and they 
were still childless. Can you imagine their happiness on their wedding day? There had to be so many people congratulating them and offering them blessings like, may God bless you with many children. Or perhaps may God send the Messiah through you and set our people free. I imagine that was their dream. As it was often the dream of newlyweds in Israel. You see, every Jewish bride was taught early to have a large family. Because the next son born might be the Messiah. Every Jewish husband married with that hope. And if ever there was a couple that met all the criteria from a strictly human perspective, it was Zechariah and Elizabeth. They could have been the chosen instruments through whom God sent the Messiah to set all things right. Yet they remained childless these many years. There were so many prayers, so many tears, so many unanswered questions in between the lines of their life. And with the incredible cultural and political pressure to their, from their families to have children, being childless made them feel deficient and passed over by God. If you've ever longed for something with all your heart, then you might have an idea about the self-examination that Zechariah and Elizabeth sent themselves through. You might know how disappointment turned into sorrow and sorrow into despair and despair into resolve. Now, with the passing of years, they had long since packed away their hopes. Zechariah and Elizabeth, no doubt, felt that their prayer for a child would go forever unanswered. For them, they meant that their line, their lineage, would end with them. They lived as though they were waiting to die. That did not mean that they ceased functioning. No. Zechariah still showed up at the temple when he was assigned, and Elizabeth continued managing their household. But for them, there was no future. They had prayed and prayed and prayed to God, especially Elizabeth. You see, there's a stigma attached to women who are barren. Although scripture tells us that they lived a righteous life, those in their community would have wondered what sin had they committed that would leave them childless. They would have lived daily, stigmatized and in shame, slowly dying inside. And their humanness, perhaps they have forgotten that it is often in the barrenness of life that God's new work begins. And not just literal barrenness, but barrenness as a metaphor for those of us who feel empty, waiting, humbled, and pleading 
as we stand before God. But this important spiritual practice, practice of awaiting is vital for our spiritual life. I found myself thinking, if not saying out loud, out loud, I hate to wait. I want what I want and I want it now. Forgetting that waiting expectantly is foundational in my own spiritual life. We don't like to wait. But God can and does teach us a great deal when we wait in expectation. When Zechariah was at the temple performing his duties, he was chosen to enter the holy place and present the incense offering to God for the people of God. This was a once-in-a-lifetime sacred moment for him. Imagine his excitement and his fear in entering this most holy place. Being given the opportunity to lift the prayers of his people before the very veil of God, to be within God's presence. I have no doubt that he also carried within him his own prayer of becoming a parent. Even though it had been buried deeply within him, as he lifted prayers for his people, I believe his heart lifted his own prayer. As Zechariah was placing the incense on the coals at the altar, the angel Gabriel appeared. He came to him from the Holy of Holies, beyond the veil, from the very presence of God, saying to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Now what I believe Gabriel is saying here is not, don't be afraid of me, Zechariah, but rather, don't be afraid because God remembers both you and Israel and has heard your prayers. You see, the name Zechariah means God remembers. I believe that this alone would have been enough to shift Zechariah's life from one of waiting to die to one of life, from barrenness to abundance, which, by the way, is what Elizabeth means. My God is abundance. But Gabriel wasn't finished yet. Gabriel continues his song of faith. He says to Zechariah, your wife will bear with you a son whom you are to name John, which means God is gracious. You will have joy and gladness, and many others will rejoice at his birth, for John will be great in the sight of God. John will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. John will turn people from, away from their, John will turn many people back to God. John will go before God as a forerunner in spirit and in the power of Elijah, John will turn hearts of parents back to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. John will make ready a people 
prepared for God. Gabriel is saying to Zechariah that not only will your child bring life and joy to you, but your child will be the forerunner of the Messiah, the one whom you have been waiting some 400 years. Your child will break the silence that Israel has been living in for 400 years. Your child will have a vital ministry of his own to call many in Israel back to God. Your child will play a part in saving lives. Your child will prepare Israel, your people, for the coming of the long-awaited Messiah. What a song to break the silence. So much to take in so quickly. From the shock of being in the presence of Gabriel to receiving the news that you're about to be a parent in your old age to hearing that your child will be the forerunner of the Messiah. If I were Zechariah, I, I probably would have answered exactly like he answered. How can this be? I'm old. My wife's old. We have our AARP cards, and we've had them for quite a while. We are barren, and we own that now. It doesn't matter if God remembers, or if God is abundant, or if God is gracious. Barrenness is our identity, and it is what we can comprehend. We are committed to living the way that we have been living as if we are dying because we know barrenness. We know how to do dying. How will I know that you speak the truth, Gabriel? What will be the sign? Silence. The sign is silence. How ironic is it that the very thing Zechariah has believed God to be towards him and Elizabeth in their barrenness is the exact same sign that God uses to show God's faithfulness to them. Zechariah will know silence. Imagine how Zechariah's own silence transforms his faith in God. Imagine being Zechariah and holding the truth of your son's destiny within for months, unable to speak, not even to your own wife. You can't tell her that she carries the forebearer of the Messiah within her. I can only imagine the transformation that occurred as he waited expectantly for John's birth. Both he and Elizabeth had to unlearn barrenness and speak life into their new abundance. Scripture tells us a little further on in the story that they went into seclusion. I imagine that that would be incredibly helpful in unlearning their barrenness. It explains at least for me their need to pull away. They 
were being transformed. And a new life grew within Elizabeth. And it changed them spiritually. As I began to do my sermon prep for day for today, and I was thinking about barrenness and emptiness, situations and life expectations and experiences that I could offer up for my own life that could have a possible correlation with today's story. I thought about my brother, Avery, who died July 19, 1991 from the complications of AIDS. I especially thought about him today since today is AIDS, World AIDS Day Sunday. But that started to th make me think about my own diagnosis of lupus in 1986. You see, I have had three close calls with death myself. And as I was sharing this with Cassandra and Ariel, one of our daughters recently, they were asking me, so how does your flare manifest? And a couple of days later, after we had had that conversation, I was riding along in silence, drafting my sermon in my head, and the question arose within my spirit. Have you ever lived as if you were waiting to die? And I knew that I had been, indeed, lived as though I was waiting to die. And recently, someone spoke a word of prophecy over my life and told me I still had a word, a song to offer God's people. I know what it's like to only have enough faith to believe in what I can see. I've lived with chronic illness. 20 plus years, a lifeless situation for so long that at times it has become my identity. And because I couldn't see beyond the flare and its aftermath, sometimes I'd forgotten that I'm not my illness, nor that I am alone. I'd forgotten about what God can do and through I'd forgotten that I could speak life into my own situation and have life revived in it. So as we enter the season of Advent and we hear the songs of angels anew, let us begin by hearing our own truths of who we believe ourselves to be. And if we find places of barrenness, Let's examine them and then invite life into them. Use this season as an opportunity to practice moments of silence and wonder. Allow these moments of silence to assist us in radically redefining who we are and our lives. Look for opportunities in which your story your song may be able to speak life and some, to someone else's situation. Will you do that with me as we journey? Amen.